Hello there, and welcome to the next episode of What You May Have Mythed. And aren't we powering through this series? This week, we are heading back into the Northern Hemisphere, many miles away from last week's adventure in Brazil, to the country where I spent the best part of two decades growing up, although my accent would indicate otherwise. This week, we are headed for Scotland. The land of bagpipes, haggis, breathtaking landscapes, deep-fried Mars bars, and the most hateful creature on the planet, the West Coast Midgie. But only one of these features in today's story. But before we get started, remember that if you head over to TikTok, you can find videos that are posted daily, mostly, covering a swathe of other myths and legends from all over the world. If you have any questions, you can ask them there, or fire them in an email to me, on the mythspodcast at gmail.com. It is quite a long tale today, but that won't make it any less interesting. It is one of those tales where the title suggests one thing, and yet in actuality is just a very oblique reference to the start of the story. It is also a story that quite literally throws curveballs left, right and centre. You think the story's going one way when, bang, it fires off in a completely obscure direction. So, sit back, relax, unless you're driving, in which case sit up and stay alert, and let's get stuck into this legend from Scotland. The Battle of the Birds Once there lived a farmer who needed a servant, and one day, by luck, he met the wren, who said to him, What are you seeking? Well, I'm seeking a servant. "'Will you take me as your servant?' asked the wren. "'You, you poor creature, what good would you be?' the farmer laughed. "'Try me,' came the reply. So the farmer took on the wren, and the first work he set the bird was threshing the grain in the barn. The wren took up the task and began threshing. "'What did he thresh with, I hear you ask? "'Well, a flail, as all farmers do, of course.' Have you never seen a wren carrying a flail? No, neither have I. Anyway, whilst he was threshing, a single piece of grain fell onto the floor, where it was quickly consumed by a small mouse. Don't do that again, warned the wren, and he struck the pile again, only to drop two more pieces of grain. Out again came the mouse and gobbled them up, and so the pair arranged a contest to see who was stronger. The wren called his twelve fellow birds, and the mouse her tribe. "'I see you have your tribe with you,' said the wren. "'And you, your fellow birds,' said the mouse, and she stuck out her leg proudly. But the wren, ever gallant, broke it with his flail. How sporting. The wren's actions ignited a furious battle between birds and mice. Soon every creature and bird began to gather to the battle until news of the conflict reached the ears of the son of the king of Tethertown, 
who then decided he would journey to see the battle. He promised his father that he would bring news back to him regarding who would be the king of the creatures in the coming year. But by the time the king's son reached the battle, it was nearly over, save for one duel between a great black raven and a snake. The snake was twisted around the raven's neck, but the raven held the snake's throat in its beak. When the king's son saw this, he decided to help the raven, and with one swipe from his sword, the snake's head came sailing off. After the raven had taken several deep breaths and saw that the snake was dead, he said to the king's son, For your kindness to me on this day, I will give you a gift. Climb now upon the root of my two wings. The king's son put his hands around the raven, and the great black bird took flight over nine bends and nine glens and nine mountain moors. When I say Bens, I don't mean they flew over nine actual people called Ben in Scotland, but rather Ben in Gaelic translates as mountain, so in actuality they flew over nine mountains. No, said the raven, you see that house over there? Go to it. A sister of mine lives there and I'm sure she will make you welcome. If she asks you, were you at the Battle of the Birds, you tell her you were, and if she asks, did you see anyone like me? Say you did, but be sure that you meet me tomorrow morning right here on this spot. The king's son received wonderful treatment in the raven's sister's house, much food and drink and a soft warm bed. The next day the raven flew him over six bends and six glens and six mountain moors. They saw a boffy far off, but with speed they were soon there. He received wonderful treatment again, plenty of meat and drink, warm water for his feet, and another soft bed. And on the next day it was the same thing, over three bends and three glens and three mountain moors. On the third morning, instead of seeing the raven, before the king's son stood the most handsome lad he ever saw, with gold ringlets in his hair and a bundle in his hand. Um, my apologies, my dear fellow, but have you seen a big black raven near here? The king's son asked. The lad replied, you will never see the raven again, for I am that raven. I was put under spells by a bad druid. It was meeting you that released me, and for that you shall receive this bundle. Now you must turn back and follow the same path that led you here, and lie a night in each house as before. But you must not open the bundle which I have given you until you are in the place where you would most wish to dwell. The king's son turned, faced the direction of his father's house, and began walking back the way he had been flown. He received lodging from the raven's sister, just as he had when going forward. When he was finally nearing his father's house, he was going through a dark wood, and it seemed to him that the bundle was growing heavy, so he decided to have a peek at what was inside. When he opened the bundle, he was flabbergasted. Twinkling inside, he saw the mightiest castle he had ever seen, then, out of the bag, it flew and grew, and settled itself amongst the trees. A great keep, an orchard surrounding it in which every kind of fruit and herb grew. He stood full of wonder and regret for having opened the bundle, for it was not in his power to put it back again, and he would much have preferred that this dark wood was the pretty little green hollow that was opposite his father's house. But then he looked up and saw a great giant coming towards him. 
Bad is the place where you have built the house king's son, said the giant. Yes, but it is not here I would wish it to be, though it happens to be here by mistake, says the king's son. How does one build a castle by mistake? Well, that's a long story and rather bizarre, but will you help me? What's the reward for putting it back in the bundle as it was before? What's the reward you would ask? says the king's son. That you will give me the first son you have when he is seven years of age, replied the giant. Goodness, that's a steep price, but so be it. If I have a son, you shall have him, said the king's son. In a flash, the giant put garden, orchard and castle back into the bundle as they were before. Now, said the giant, take your own road and I will take mine. But mind you promise, and if you forget it, I will remember. The king's son took to the road again, and at the end of a few days he reached the place he had been looking for. Once again he opened the bundle, and the castle came out of it just as it had before. He walked up to the great wooden doors, and when he opened them, the most beautiful maiden stood before him. Come forward, king's son, she said. Everything is in order for you if you will marry me this very day. I am more than willing, my lady, said the king's son, and on the same day they married. Moving forward quite quickly, if you ask me, but there we go. But clearly it worked out well, as seven years later the king's son and the maiden were still living quite happily in their castle, so much so that they were now king and queen. But then, seven years and one day after the castle had been planted, who should be seen coming to the castle but the giant? The king was reminded of his promise to the giant, and until now he had not told his promise to the queen. Look, leave the matter between me and the giant, said the queen. Turn out your son, said the giant. Remember your promise. You shall have him, called the king from the battlements, when his mother puts him in order for his journey. Rather than hand over their own son, the queen dressed up the cook's son, and she gave him to the giant. The giant went away with him, but he had not gone far when he put a rod in the hand of the boy. He then asked, If thy father had that rod, what would he do with it? The boy replied, If my father had that rod, he would beat the dogs and cats, so that they shouldn't be going near the king's meat. Thou art the cook's son said the giant. He picked the boy up by his two small ankles and, rather brutally, dashed him against the stone wall. The giant turned back to the castle in rage and madness and said that if they did not send out the king's son to him, he would tear the castle down. The queen turned to the king. We'll try again. The butler's son is the same age as our own son. Without asking the butler, she dressed up his son and sent him to the giant. Once again, the giant had not gone far when he put the rod in the boy's hands. If thy father had that rod, said the giant, what would he do with it? He would beat the dogs and cats when they would come near the king's bottles and glasses. Thou art the son of the butler, said the giant, and, rather than return the boy home, dashed his brains out too. The giant returned in a very great rage and anger. The earth shook under the soles of his feet, and the castle and everything that was in it 
quaked. Out here with your son, roared the giant, or in a flash the highest stone in your castle shall become the lowest. There were no more boys from their staff to surrender to the giant, so they had to give the king's son. When they had walked a little way from the castle, the giant showed him the rod that was in his hand and said, What would thy father do with this rod if he had it? The prince said, My father has a braver rod than that. Where is your father when he has that brave rod? Sat on his kingly chair. Then the giant understood that he had the right boy and took him to his own house and here raised him as his own. One day, many years later, when the giant was away from home, the lad heard the sweetest music he had ever heard coming from a room at the top of the giant's house. He crept upstairs and peeked inside, where he saw the finest face he had ever seen. She beckoned him closer and told him her name was Auburn Mary. But before he could say anything in reply, she told him to go, but made him promise to come back to the same place at the stroke of midnight. And, being a good lad, he kept his promise. The giant's daughter, Auburn Mary, was at his side in a twinkling, and she said to him, "'Tomorrow you will get the choice of my two sisters to marry, "'but say that you will not take either but me. "'My father wants me to marry the son of the king of the green city, "'but I don't like him.' "'The following morning the giant brought his three daughters before the prince. "'Now then, son of the king of Tethertown, "'you have not lost anything by living with me so long. "'I offer one of my two eldest daughters to you in marriage, "'and with her leave,' You may return home with her the day after the wedding. If you will allow me to marry Auburn Mary, replied the prince, I will take you at your word. The giant grew angry at this request and rumbled, Before thou receives her, you must do the three things I ask you to do. Name them, replied the prince. The giant took him to the stables. A hundred cattle are stabled here, and it has not been cleaned for seven years. I am going away from home today, and if this stable is not cleaned before night comes, so clean that a golden apple will run from end to end, not only shall you not get my daughter, but I will be drinking your blood to quench my thirst tonight. The lad began cleaning, but he may as well have been trying to bail the ocean. By midday, when sweat was blinding him, Auburn Mary came to him. You are being punished, King's son. Yes, she, just like the giant, calls him King's son. Why, I don't know. I am at that, came his weary response. Come over and lay down for a short while. I will. There is but death awaiting me no matter what. He sat down near her. He was so tired that he fell asleep at once beside her. When he awoke, the giant's daughter was not to be seen, but the stable was so well cleaned that a golden apple would run from end to end and raise no stain. Then the giant lumbered in. Have you done as I commanded, King's son? I have cleaned it. Somebody cleaned it. Well, you didn't clean it, so obviously someone else has. Rather bold, considering the size difference between the two. Well, well, said the giant. Since you were so active today, you have until this time tomorrow to thatch this stable with bird's down, 
from birds with no two feathers of the same colour. The prince was up before dawn. He took up his bow and his quiver of arrows to kill the birds and headed for the moors. But the birds were not so easy to shoot down. He was running after them until the sweat was blinding him. Around midday, who should come to him but Auburn Mary? You're exhausting yourself, King's son. I am. I've felled only these two blackbirds, and they're both the same colour. Come over and lay down your head on this pretty hillock, said the giant's daughter. So be it. He had an inkling she would aid him this time too, and he sat down near her, and he was not long sat down before sleep overwhelmed him. When he awoke, Auburn Mary was gone. He stood and returned home where he found the stable beautifully thatched with a multitude of coloured feathers. When the giant came home, he said, Have you thatched the stable, king's son? I thatched it. Well, somebody thatched it, said the giant. Yes, and it wasn't you. Again, rather bold, I think. Yes, yes, said the giant impatiently. Now, there is a fir tree beside that loch down there and there is a magpie's nest in its top. The eggs you will find in the nest, I must have them for my breakfast. Not one must be burst or broken, and there are five in the nest. Early in the morning, the king's son went to where the tree was, and that tree was not hard to hit upon. It towered above all other trees in the wood. From the foot to the first branch was five hundred feet. The prince was grappling with the bark all around the tree when, once again, along came Auburn Mary to offer him her assistance. You're losing the skin of your hands and feet. Ouch! I am! No sooner do I find a hold than I come crashing back down. He expected her to tell him to rest his head and while he was asleep she would collect the eggs. But no, what she actually said was much more weird. This is no time for stopping. Now you must kill me, strip the flesh from my bones, take all these bones apart and use them as steps for climbing the tree. When you're climbing the tree, they will stick to the trunk as if they have grown out of it. But when you're coming down and you put your foot on each one, they will drop into your hand when you touch them. Be sure and stand on each bone. Leave none untouched. If you do, they will stay behind. Put all my flesh into this clean cloth by the side of the spring at the roots of the tree. When you come to the earth, arrange my bones together, put the flesh over them, sprinkle it with water from the spring, and I shall be alive before you. But don't forget a bone of me on that tree. What? What? How, how could I kill you? stammered the prince. After what you've done for me. If you don't do it, you and I are done for, said Auburn Mary. You must climb the tree or we are lost. And to climb the tree you must do as I say. Not entirely sure that this would work, the prince obeyed. He killed Auburn Mary, cut the flesh from her body, and used the bones as she had told him. As he went up, the prince placed the bones of Auburn Mary's body against the side of the tree, using them as steps, until he came under the nest and stood on the last bone. Then he took the eggs, placed them gently in his satchel, and, coming down, put his foot on every bone, then took it with him until he came to the last bone, which was so near the ground that he failed to touch it with his foot. 
He now placed all the bones of Auburn Mary in order again at the side of the spring, put the flesh on them, and sprinkled it with water from the spring. She rose up before him and said, Didn't I tell you not to leave a bone of my body without stepping on it? You left my little finger on the tree without touching it, and I have but nine fingers. Anyway, go home with the eggs quickly, and you will get to marry me tonight if you can recognise me. My two sisters and I will be dressed in the same garments and made to look like each other. But look at me when my father says, Go to thy wife, king's son, and you will see a hand without a little finger. On returning to the giant's house, he gave the eggs to the giant. Ah, yes, yes, said the giant, salivating at the prospect of eggs for breakfast. Go and make ready for your marriage. Then indeed there was a wedding, and such a wedding. Giants and gentlemen, and the son of the king of the green city was in the midst of them. They were married, and the dancing began. But bedtime came, and the giant said, It is time for you to go to rest, son of the king of Tethertown. Choose your bride from the three before you. Auburn Mary put out the hand off which the little finger was, and caught her by the hand. You have aimed well this time, too. Then off to rest they went. Don't sleep, or else you are a dead man. We must fly quickly, for I am certain my father will kill you. Out the house they went, and leapt onto the blue-grey filly in the stable. Wait a moment, she said. I will play a trick on my old father. She jumped back off the horse and ran inside again. There she cut an apple into nine shares. Two shares she placed at the head of the bed, two shares at the foot of the bed, two shares at the door of the kitchen, two shares at the big door, and one outside the house. Then she returned to the horse, and the pair rode off at great speed. The giant awoke and called, Are you asleep? Not yet, said the apple that was at the head of the bed. Aha, uh -huh. bet you weren't expecting talking apples, were you? A little while later he called again. Not yet, said the apple that was at the foot of the bed. A while after this he called again. Are you asleep? Not yet, said the apple at the kitchen door. The giant called again. The apple that was at the big door answered. Now you are going far from me, the giant roared. Not yet, replied the apple that was outside the house. You are flying, the giant bellowed. He jumped to his feet and to the bed he went, but it was cold and empty. My own daughter's tricks are trying me. And so he set after them at great speed. As the sun rose, the giant's daughter said that her father's breath was burning her back. Quickly, put your hand in the ear of our steed, and whatever you find in it, throw it behind us. Yes, you heard that right. The prince put his hand into the horse's ear and pulled out a... There's a twig of a slow tree. I don't care what it is, just throw it behind us. No sooner had he thrown it than twenty miles of blackthorn wood, so thick that scarce a weasel could go through it, appeared behind them. The giant came headlong into the gorse and howled in anger. My own daughter's tricks are here as before, said the giant, but if I had my own big axe and wood knife here, I would not be long making a way through this. So he turned back for home to collect his big axe and wood knife, and when he returned to the wood, he was not long making a way through the blackthorn. 
Before the sun had reached midday, the giant's daughter felt her father's breath burning her back again. Put your finger in the filly's ear and throw behind you whatever you find in it, she called to the prince. He pulled out a splinter of grey stone. He threw it behind, and before he could blink, there were twenty miles by breadth and height of great grey rock behind them. The giant came full pelt, but past the rock he could not go. The tricks of my own daughter are the hardest things that ever met me. Had I brought my lever and a mighty mattock, I would not be long in making my way through this rock also. There was nothing to do but return home for the tools. When he came back to the rock, he was not long in making a road through it. By the time the sun had sunk beneath the horizon, the giant's daughter said that she felt her father's breath burning her back once again. Look in the filly's ear, king's son, or else we are lost. He did so, and it was a bladder of water, weirdly, that he pulled from its ear this time. He threw it behind him, and a freshwater loch, twenty miles in length and breadth, appeared behind them. The giant came on, but with the speed he was carrying he could not stop, and he fell right in the heart of the loch. Under he went, and he rose no more. The following dawn, our young companions came at last in sight of his father's house. Auburn Mary stopped the horse and turned to speak to the king's son. My father is drowned, and he won't trouble us any more. But before we go further, go to your father's house and tell him of me and that you love me. But let neither man nor creature kiss you, for if you do, you will not remember that you have ever seen me. Everyone he met gave him welcome and luck, and he charged his father and mother not to kiss him. But, as always happens in these kinds of tales, there was a mishap. An old greyhound was present, and she remembered him, and jumped up to lick his face, and after that he did not remember the giant's daughter. Auburn Mary was sitting at a well's side when he left her, but the prince never came back. During the night she climbed up into an oak tree that was beside the well, and she lay in the fork of that tree all night. A shoemaker had a house near the well, and about midday the following day the shoemaker asked his wife to fetch a drink for him out of that well. When the shoemaker's wife reached it, she saw the reflection of Auburn Mary up in the tree. Yet she thought it was her own reflection, and she had never thought until now she was so handsome. She threw the dish for water onto the ground where it shattered, and took herself back to the house without vessel or water. "'Where is the water?' asked the shoemaker. "'You shambling, contemptible old carol! Without grease, I have waited too long on you and your water and wood thrall!' "'I think, wife, that you've turned crazy. Go you, daughter, quickly and fetch a drink for your father.' His daughter went to the well, and exactly the same thing happened. She mistook Auburn Mary's reflection for that of hers. She never thought till now that she was so lovable— and she took herself home without water. "'Up with the drink,' said her father. "'You homespun charl! Do you think I'm fit to be your thrall?' The poor shoemaker thought that they had taken a turn in losing their minds, and he went himself to the well. He saw the reflection of the maiden in the well, and looked up to the tree to see the finest woman he had ever laid eyes on. "'Your seat is wavering, but your face is fair,' said the shoemaker. Come down and rest a short while at my house. 
the shoemaker understood that this was the reflection that had driven his wife and daughter mad. The shoemaker took her into his house and said that he had but a poor bothy, but that she should get a share of all that was in it. One day the shoemaker had a very special pair of shoes ready, for on that day the king's son was to be married. The shoemaker was going to the castle with the shoes when Auburn Mary said to the shoemaker, I would like to get a sight of the king's son before he marries. Come with me, said the shoemaker. I am well acquainted with the servants in the castle, and you shall get a sight of the prince and all the court. And when the ladies and gentlemen of the court saw her beauty, they took her to the wedding room and they filled for her a glass of wine. In the room the prince did not recognise her, but when she lifted the wine to her lips a flame went up out of the glass and a golden pigeon and a silver pigeon sprang out of it. They were flying about when three grains of barley fell on the floor. The silver pigeon dived and ate them up. The golden pigeon said to the silver, If you remembered when I cleared the stable, you would not eat the barley without giving me a share. Again there fell three other grains of barley, and the silver pigeon sprung and ate them up as before. If you remembered when I thatched the stable, you would not eat that without giving me my share, said the golden pigeon. Three more grains fell, and the silver pigeon sprung and ate them up too. If you remembered what I gave you so you could harry the magpie's nest, you would not eat that without giving me my share, said the golden pigeon. I lost my little finger bringing it down, and I want it still. Then, at once, the prince remembered, and finally he knew who it was that stood before him. Well, said the prince to the guests at the feast, when I was a little younger than I am now, I lost the key of a casket that I had. I had a new key made, but after it was brought to me, I found the old one. Now, I'll leave it to anyone here to tell me what I am to do. Which of the keys should I keep? My advice to you, said one of the guests, is to keep the old key, for it fits the lock better, and you're more used to it. Then the prince stood up and said, I thank you for your wise advice and an honest word. This is my bride, the daughter of the giant who saved my life at the risk of her own. I'll have her and no other woman. So the prince married Auburn Mary, and the wedding lasted long and all were happy. Well, did I not tell you this was a bizarre tale? I hope you enjoyed it. I think it certainly is one of the more stranger stories we've had on this show so far. Next week we are staying in the Northern Hemisphere and travelling to somewhere we visited before, back at the beginning of Series 2. Any guesses? But if you need more what you may have miffed material in your life, then head over to TikTok where there are a multitude of videos to sink your teeth into. If you have any questions, then you can ask them there or drop me an email on themythspodcast at gmail.com. And in the next couple of weeks, there will hopefully be an exciting announcement, so keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. For now, farewell, and I shall see you next week for episode four of this series of What You May Have Mythed.